nothing like it. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. I've had some good times of prayer in my home, and hopefully you have too. But there's nothing like coming together with God's people. Nothing like the unity of the Spirit flowing among us. Well, hallelujah. Praise God. So honored today to have missionary Jesse Stewart and his wife here. And we love these folks dearly. We really do. He is carrying on and going beyond uh, my burden and my passion for the work in Africa. And uh, we just celebrated, Brother Stewart just celebrated 10 years since that initial trip uh, to Harare in June of 2013. And uh, that's really when the door opened. Now, the initial trip was way back in July of 2001. And so that's been 22 years ago. It's a long story. It took a long time for those seeds to take root. But they did. Amen. God makes us a promise that they will. And so we keep on planting. We keep on trusting. We keep on praying. We keep on believing. And eventually, God allows the seeds that are planted and watered to germinate and bring forth. So after some 12 years, the door really opened and the work in Zimbabwe began. And uh, it was, it was uh, because of that initial visit in June of 2013, we, we baptized some 50-plus preachers and wives in the name of Jesus Watched as they got a glorious revelation of the mighty God in Christ. And, and God from there just began to open the door. And now I think we're in eight, is it eight different nations? He's counting. Take your shoes off if you have to. Six active. All right, so six that we, we have active works there. And um, God's doing great things, and he may talk to you about it maybe in the service tonight. But under his capable leadership, the work has just expanded and grown, and God could not have picked anybody better to, to take up this burden and run with it. And that's what he's done. He has just put his shoulder to the plow and we appreciate it. And I'm thankful that he still lets this old man be a little bit of a part of it. And uh, I go over every once in a while and stick my nose in the business there and try not to do too much damage while I'm there and uh, try to stay involved in some of the ongoing training classes and uh, which really are his, that, that's his baby. That's That was what he foresaw and put together and give him the credit for that, um, though I know it was really birthed of the Holy Ghost, and it has, it has helped to establish a number of men, and I don't know, Brother Stewart, I haven't sat down and counted since that service when they commissioned you in Tulsa, um, and Bishop Howard asked me then to kind of make a report of the work at that moment. I've not sat down and counted since then, but how many years ago was that? That's, yeah, that's, 
that since the commissioning service, that was in 2019, that's been four years ago. At that point, I counted over 1,000 pastors and wives that we had baptized in the name of Jesus. And that's been four years ago, and it's, it's grown exponentially since then. And the, the wonderful news is uh, that, that we're not doing it all. I'm not doing it all. He's not doing it all. But these men that, that have been converted are taking this message. And we're constantly seeing pictures of where they're baptizing others. And they're teaching others this truth. And it just continues to spread. And we're so thankful for that. So very, very thankful for what's going on. I still care deeply about the work there and have a tremendous burden for the work. And so I'm glad to be able to bring him to this pulpit. It's been too long since he's been here. And um, a lot of times he slips in and gets his schedule full and I don't even get a chance. And so I snuck up on him while I was at camp this last week and I said, where are you going this weekend? He said, well, I, he's looking through his, his uh, phone and he said, I don't know that I've got anywhere I have to be. I said, well, you do now. Hallelujah. And uh, I was glad that they were able to come and be with us. We love these folks dearly, love their son and daughter. And God's got his hand on his son. And I know God's doing great things through him. And uh, I foresee a tremendous and bright future for him and for we're praying for that, um, praying for you in that upcoming wedding and all of the trials and tribulations that go through all of that. I told him he'll love that, that son-in-law a whole lot more once the first grandbaby comes along. Um, a wise man once told me, he said, it's amazing. It's amazing what wonderful grandkids a knothead can produce. Uh, all of the grandparents understand exactly what I'm talking about. But, um, but anyhow, they got their daughters uh, going to be getting married here before too long. And, and we're excited and happy for them. And I know it's, it's a time of mixed emotions. I understand all of that. But anyhow, we're glad to have them here in Olathe today. And uh, he's going to be preaching for us today and tonight. Not just preaching for us, preaching to us. There is a difference. There is a difference. And I hope that he's not just preaching for you today. I hope he's, you're going to let him preach to you today. And I think he knows me well enough to know, and he's been here enough to know that there are no fetters on this pulpit when this man steps up. I want him to obey the Holy Ghost. Whatever he feels, whatever God puts on his heart, whatever the Lord inspires him to say or do, is going to be just fine because that's what we need today. Praise God. Brother Stewart, we're glad you're here. I want you to come. Take your liberty. We love you dearly. God bless you. Praise the Lord, everyone. Aren't you glad to be in church today? Amen. Every service is different. And... Uh, I think that's partly why it's important that we are in the house of the Lord each time the doors are open. You just never know what's going to happen in an apostolic church. 
Amen, amen. It's so good to be here today uh, with you again, Pastor and Sister Riggin. Uh, if I could say it this way, uh, these are a preacher's friend, and I mean that as a, as a high compliment. Sometimes preachers aren't the easiest people to be friends with. These are good Christian folks and have always shown us the utmost kindness and for that we are grateful and I do not uh, take lightly that he has bestowed the trust of the work in Africa upon our family. That is a, that is a high honor that someone would and trust a work like that to us, and for that we're, we're grateful, thankful for all the Lord is doing there, thankful for the reports that we've been hearing that have come from this local assembly and all that God is doing here. I believe God has great and even better things in store for us, amen, as the days go by. I don't look for the church to go out of here just barely. I don't look for us to just make it into heaven and say, we just barely, no, I look for God to come for a glorious church. Amen. I look for us to be having revival when the coming of the Lord happens. Amen. Amen. I know he's not coming until the very last person uh, says yes to him and is born again. So that means somebody is going to be getting the Holy Ghost when the Lord comes. Amen. Somebody's going to be saying yes to the Lord when he cues that trumpet and says, all right, let's go get the church. Let's go get my bride. Amen. Amen. So I'm glad to be a part of God's church today. Amen. I have something on my heart today for this church. And I invite you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter number 62, verses 1 through 5. Uh, I was welcomed back to the U.S. with an allergy flare-up, so I beg your pardon with my voice as I endeavor to preach today, but truly what I'm doing is hoping that when this is passed, I'll be endowed with a voice like Brother Golf. Amen. Appreciate them. Give honor to the ministry that is represented here, the saints of the Most High God. Isaiah chapter number 62, verse number 1. For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and all kings thy glory. And thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. So recognize this. God said, you, you're, you're being named something I intend to change. 
there's some proper nouns that are about to be given to us that God said, you're not going to be called by that any longer. He said, and thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken. Neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate. But thou shalt be called Hephzibah. And that word Hephzibah means my delight is in her. God said, I got a new name for you. And it represents how I feel about Represents what I think about you. He said, my delight is in her. And he said, I land Beulah, which means married. Married. For the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride. So shall thy God rejoice over thee. What a beautiful depiction of how the Lord feels about his people. What a, what a bold statement of the Lord to say, uh, Hey, bride, you're about to get a name change. And, and it's, it's going to be a name that's above, oh, above every name. It's a name that represents the one that you'll be in betrothed to. Amen. So I'm taking my title from this last verse here, and I'm going to preach to you for a little while today on this thought, the bridegroom rejoicing over the bride. Amen. I want you to get that picture in your mind as we begin to preach today. I want you to think about the bridegroom just celebrating a little bit and rejoicing some about his bride. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Why don't we clap our hands to the Lord before we begin. Let's glorify the Lord of glory. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. This past year, I'll, I'll, I'm, for those that don't know me, for those that have never spent much time around me, I will not fit into the preacher mold category that you likely have in your mind because I'm just me, and I'm just going to plan to be me today. <laughs> and, uh, and so this, this past May, May the 23rd, my wife and I celebrated our 25th anniversary. Amen. Can you believe Sister Stewart has put up with me now for 25 years? They say that a, that a man, when he finds a wife, he's found a good thing. But I'm going to tell you, when a missionary finds a wife, he has found a treasure. And so we, we celebrated our 25th anniversary. And I you know, couldn't help during those days where we took some time off to spend together. Uh, it's hard not to think back over the journey and 
and to go back to the day of the wedding and the days leading up to the wedding. And one of the things that we got a real good laugh about recently is someone sent to us a digital recording of our wedding. And so we went back through and listened to that. And sure enough, we had gone through it. So uh, there was the proof there. We did get married. And, and we took some time to select the songs and the things that go along with planning a wedding. And as we began to listen to the songs, Bishop Regan, we began to laugh hysterically. And, and not probably for the reasons that you might think. But one of the songs that we had selected was the song, A Whole New World. And God only knew a couple of young children standing up at the front of the church and the song began to play, I will show you the world. I just imagine God said, you have no idea. <laughs> You're going to see some parts of the world you never knew existed. So I joked and commented to Bishop Howard that the gifts were in operation at our wedding. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, we, we've had that on our mind a little bit with now celebrating 25 years and as Pastor Riggin mentioned, I now have a daughter who is preparing to get married. And, and that feels a little different. That feels a little different than when I was the one preparing. You know, it was definitely the will of God. No doubt about it when it was our turn and now it's hers. And, and I find myself... Like some of us dads who have taught our children to drive, I find myself reaching for that brake pedal, saying, hold on a little bit, slow down, let's not rush this. And, and it's, it's just different now observing uh, as a father. And uh, I, I, I thought about what Solomon wrote in the Proverbs here where he said, there are some things that are too wonderful for me to understand. Three or maybe four of them. He said one is the way of an eagle in the, in the air. And the other is the way of a serpent upon the rock. I'm trying not to read too much into this. Uh, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea. And the way of a man with a maid. And uh, you know those, those of us that have been married a little while. Uh, even I was noticing spending some time with my pastor and his wife recently and they've been married quite a bit longer than we have and and there's still that little twinkle in his eye when he looks over at her and I, I find myself sometimes with a bit of a goofy grin upon my face as I look across and see my dear bride and and it really does uh, astound you the way that a that God chose to put humanity together, a man and a woman. That's still a, a biblical marriage, by the way. <laughs> a man and a woman put together, and, and, and Solomon said that's just a, a difficult thing to really understand. And I concur with that. And uh, 
after my wife and I finished our little bit of an anniversary trip, we parted ways in Italy and she came back to the United States and I went on back to South Africa and week one went by and week two went by and week three went by and I got a revelation of what the Lord meant when he looked down at Adam and he said it's not good for man to dwell alone. Let brother Josh say amen. Amen, love that young man. But it's not good for a man to dwell alone. And I'll, I'll get to what I want to preach here, but he, God, God was, was looking down at Adam when he said that. And, and he had allowed all of creation to pass by and allowed Adam to name each and every one of them. And the scripture said that not any of them were a suitable companion for Adam. And so God said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to prepare, I'm going to prepare something for him. I have something in mind to, to complement him just a little bit. I have a helper or a help meet uh, in my, in my uh, mind for him, a mate for him. And I'm going to put him together with her. And so we understand that what God put together, what God prepared was absolute perfection for Adam. Even taken from his side intended to complete him. Something about Adam was, was missing. And God said, I know what he needs. I'm going to prepare a bride for him, a wife for him. So he prepared her. And after, in the scripture, Queen Vashti rebuffed king, the king Ahasuerus, another bride was sought. She rejected him. And he said, I, I'm not going to have a bride that rejects me. I'm not, I'm not going to allow someone to call themselves my wife and not care a bit about what I think. I'm not going to allow somebody to be connected with me who isn't interested in pleasing me. And so another bride was sought after and Esther spent 12 Long months preparing herself for the king. I'm, I'm observing my daughter right now going through just a few months. <laughs> Certainly not 12. And, and all of the preparations that, that she's going through. And, and I, I haven't even heard the half of it. My wife has been fortunate enough to be the consultant in that. And I'm thankful, but a lot of detail going into that. I see some of you ladies that have gone through that. You, you nod in your head. You remember trying to choose the hairdo. What's he going to like? Trying to make sure the, the gown is just so, and, and, and you, you know all the details. But Esther, Esther is going through all of that 
preparing herself for the sole purpose of pleasing the king. I want the one in whom I'm going to be told to to just let his jaw go slack as soon as he sees me. I hope some of you are reading in between the lines here today. Amen. We're going to stand before a king someday. And in that moment when we're standing there, it's going to be too late for last minute preparation. You're not going to be able to go look at the book and say, now what did he like? What did he not like? No, in that moment when we're standing there in front of him, we're either prepared or we're not. We've either made ourselves ready or we haven't. Amen. But Esther, 12 months going to the, uh, to the counselors, going and consulting with the advisors. What is he like? Okay, what is he not like? I don't think she left not one detail out. I don't think when the, when the advisor said, you know, he's probably not going to like that and he's probably going to want, I don't think she got an attitude and said, I don't think the king cares about that. This is just who I am. And he just, God's just going to have to take me for who I am. No, he doesn't. But I think everything that she said, he likes. She wrote that down. I'll do it. I'm willing. Anything that he would ask, no problem from me. Amen, amen, amen. She didn't bother comparing herself to everybody else around her. She certainly didn't go through Queen Vashti's wardrobe. She certainly didn't go asking any of those friends of hers how to behave. She just wanted to know what does the bridegroom like? What does he like? What pleases him? There's a lot of people Associated with a lot of churches that are consumed with what can I get out of this? I think if it were in God's best interest for some people, it would behoove him to come up with a prenuptial agreement. (laughs) What can I get out of this? What's in this for me? Each and every time they talk to him in prayer, give me this and do that for me. But Esther just said, I want to know, what is he like? What can I do to please him? And I can imagine over 12 months how apprehensive she must have been. How careful She must have been. 
I don't think she would, well, I better not go down that path, but I will. I don't think she just threw caution to the wind when she sat down to the dinner table. I think every, every detail was measured. Every decision in those long 12 months was weighed against. How is this going to affect what I'm trying to accomplish? That carefulness. Amen. There's a parable in the New Testament of the lost coin. And the, and the parable speaks of a woman having... Ten pieces of silver. And says if she loses even one piece, does she not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it? And when she had found it, she called it their friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. And I understand that in American culture, we don't understand Truly the importance of the custom of dowry. But in many parts of the world, even in Africa today, uh, the, the, the component of the, of the preparing includes a dowry. And if you're interested, uh, for those of you aspiring young men to get married to an African woman, the bare minimum is 17 cows. So you can't even go talk to daddy until you, until you got some things prepared. I think that's a good lesson for some young ladies uh, to make sure he's prepared. <laughs> but it's a gift from one family to the next saying we recognize the high honor that you're bestowing upon us allowing your daughter to now become a part of our family. And so this exchange of dowry is, is seen in biblical times and in other places in the world. And for this particular passage, some commentators state that it was the practice of young virgins that were given a portion of dowry for themselves that they would weave these coins into the veil. And when she's presented to the bridegroom, it would signify her diligence in keeping uh, a, a responsible nature about herself by presenting all of that dowry within the confines of her veil. So imagine what kind of a statement it had made if she had shown up on wedding day and all of the dowry isn't there. So now you can understand maybe a little bit of the panic in this young lady's mind and heart as, as she recognizes, oh no, what is he going to think if he just kind of glances through the veil and everything that he's entrusted me with is not there. Everything that he imparted to me isn't in order. But she went to work cleaning the house, looking through her life, taking inventory, what's here and what's not here, and I've got to find the one thing Yes, even those one little things that are in this book matter to God. And a real sincere pride is going to say, I'm not leaving one single thing undone. There's nothing insignificant in this book. 
Imagine how embarrassed she would have been. But she went to work. Whatever I've got to do, I'm going to make sure the bride knows. There's a song that's sung today that speaks about it. He thought I was worth it. He thought I was worth it. Child of God, he thought you were worth it. He's given you an earnest of what's to come. Given you a little taste of what is in store. And the expectation is for us to manage it. Keep it. Let it be in order. So that when we stand before him, he's going to say, that really pleases me. It shows me that you care. He wants a bride that's prepared herself. He wants a, he wants a bride. Is that, I don't think that's too much to ask. For all that we get out of this. I just don't think anything he could ask could be put in a that's too much category. The Bible declares to us the things that he likes and that he don't like. And each and every day we're preparing ourselves as the church for his coming. I think all of us have been there, Elder, where we're, we're in maybe uh, less than presentable uh, condition and we hear a knock at the door. <laughs> and uh, one of these days, there's going to be a trumpet sound. And we don't know when that day is going to be. We used to hear a whole lot more preaching, Elder, about the coming of the Lord. There used to be a whole lot more concern about, I don't want to be doing this when Jesus comes. There seemed to be a heightened awareness that, hey, he could come in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. And I want to be ready. I want to be ready. The Bible speaks about five wise and five foolish. Waiting for the bridegroom to come. Somehow they knew that it was imminent. And the, and the distinction between the wise and the foolish was the level of preparation. It wasn't a measure of talent. Five for five. Wasn't who was the better looking. It wasn't any of the shallow things that sometimes we get occupied with. It was just which ones were prepared. Which ones are looking for that return. Which ones had oil in their lamp and 
didn't mind waking up from time to time to trim that lamp and make sure that oil was still filled. I want to be one of the wise. I, I can imagine, I, you know, as older, as I get a little older, I, I can't burn the midnight oil like I used to. And I know that that night must have gotten long for those young ladies. Waiting for him to come. Is he ever going to come? And the, and the preparation probably getting a little bit wearisome. Why trim it one more time? Why go to church one more time? Why another revival? Why another Bible chart this year? I read it last year. Why do I need to go down and get filled with oil, the Holy Ghost, one more time? Because Jesus is coming. And the wise are still going to get up and trim their wigs and fill up one more time because I want to be burning. I want to be prepared when it comes. Every day, do it again. Every day, making myself ready. Every day, adjusting this and changing that and conforming it to his image. Be not weary in well-doing. The preparations can seem never-ending. I'm a preacher, but I'm still human. <laughs> and there are days that I sit there and stare at my dress shoe and tie for 30 or 45 minutes too, saying, do we have to? Yes, we have to. And you know, and I know, once we push past this old flesh, Sometimes you need to have a talk with yourself. Get yourself up, boy. Get them shoes on. Iron that shirt. And most of all, don't forget your black socks when you wear a black suit. Talking about being prepared for the coming of the Lord. Talking about being prepared to see the King. A lot of churches these days, they say wear it as a badge of honor. Come as you are. And they do. We're going to see the King. We're going to see the Lord of Lords. And I'm going to be ready. I'm going to spend a little extra time making myself ready. Esther's preparations paid off. 
All the others were brought before him, and he said, nope, nope, nope. And he said yes to her. And he chose her as his beloved bride. Everything that she had fretted about, everything that she worried about, suddenly it's paid off. Suddenly all that work wasn't so wearisome. And a few years later, they say about three years after the wedding, a situation arose. A desperate hour arose. Well, you sure don't want to be looking for the prayer room during an emergency, do you? You don't want to be trying to get things right with your brother and your sister when the car's spinning out of control, do you? So three years go by and Esther finds herself in another situation. And... Uh, she goes through some very familiar steps to prepare herself again. I got to go stand before him one more time. I got to present myself in his chamber once again. And Esther chapter number 5 said, Esther, on the third day, put on her royal clothes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. And the king was sitting on his throne and uh, in the hall facing the entrance. I'm sorry, I have too much of a hyper-imagination for stories like this to just believe that she turned the corner and with an old bitter face, he went. No. The Bible said when he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was well pleased with her. And he held out the golden scepter in his hand. So Esther came down front and approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to the half of the kingdom will be given to you. She still has it. She still has it. She can still put the twinkle in the king's eye. come with a message today for this church. Truth Church of Olathe, you've still got what it takes to please the king. You've still got what it takes to put a twinkle in his eye. The Lord loves this church with an everlasting love. Oh, hallelujah. I didn't just come to pep you up today. I come to declare to this church today how the Lord sees you. I believe that it was the Lord that moved upon John as he began to describe the church as the elect lady. 
not some we can flee. But the elect lady. That's how God sees you. As Paul was talking to the church at Ephesus, he began to write about the roles of the husbands and the wives. And he said, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loves the church. He loves this church. He's in love with this church. And he gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Why? Because he's going to present it to himself. A glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives. I want to help you understand something. God is omniscient. He knows everything. And all the little things that you're allowing the devil to tell you about you and cause you to believe that God feels that way about you. God knows those things. He knows those things. And yet he said, I'm going to give you a new name. I'm going to love you anyway. I see you as an elect lady. I see you as a as the church in Olathe, Kansas. The elect lady of Olathe. We're going to preach some of that some of that doubt and unbelief out of you today. We're going to preach some of that old spirit of heaviness off of you today. Amen. We're going to preach some of that. We're nothing but a bunch of backwoods. Nobody's off of us today. You're the bride of Christ. You're well pleasing in his sight. He's got his hand upon you. He's got his eye upon you. Soon there's going to be a coming together of the bride and the bridegroom at an eternal marriage. One of these days, we're going to sit down at a, at a marriage supper of the Lamb. It's prepared. It's prepared. Brother Hilton, how long have you and Sister Hilton been married? 38 years. You still remember back 38 years before it happened? Barely. I understand that completely. You probably didn't propose on Friday and get married on Saturday, did you? No, there was some preparing. And you had confidence in him, sister. He's going to do what he said he's going to do. Get some things ready. And just before Jesus left, he said, I'm going away. But I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's not, he's not up there ignoring you. 
He's not up there disregarding this church, just letting you do whatever it is you want to do. He's getting some things ready. He's preparing a place for you. And he said, the way you know, you know how to get there. You want to get to heaven? Jesus said, you got to repent of your sin. You can't get to heaven until you repent of every one of your sins. That means you gotta, you got to tell the Lord, I've been doing some things I know you're not pleased with. And from this day forward, I'm not going to do it anymore. You want to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb? you got to take on His name. you got to be willing to get into the waters of baptism and take on the mighty name of Jesus in baptism. Don't tell me you're prepared when you haven't taken on his name. You want to be prepared to go to heaven? The Bible says you got to have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So without the Spirit of Christ, we're none of his. Without the Holy Ghost in you talking in other tongues, you don't belong to him. We got to be prepared. We got to be ready. He may come today. You don't want to be waiting on getting baptized if he comes today. Don't put it off. Quit waiting. Quit making excuses. Prepare yourself. Get some help on the music today. He's planning a wedding. He's planning a wedding. I think he knows how to plan a wedding. I think he knows what he expects out of those that call themselves Christians. And the scripture says that in that day, there are going to be some people show up to the wedding without a wedding garment. Please, please do not fall prey to the lie that God's grace is just going to overlook your lack of preparedness in that day. God's grace is not God turning a blind eye to your situation. God's grace is his enablement to help you accomplish his expectation. We got to be ready. I said we got to be ready. If it happens today, I want to be ready. Amen. If I hear that trumpet sound today, I want everything in my heart to say, Lord, I'm ready. Take me. Some of us been living for God for a little while now. But whether you've been living for God for six months, six years, or 60 years, I'm telling you it's going to be worth it all. It's going to be worth it all. It's going to be worth it all. Every heartache... 
And every trial, every long mile that you've been walking and living for God, every prayer meeting, God has kept perfect record of that. Every sacrifice you've made in getting yourself ready, every offering that you've given in, every all-night prayer meeting, God has taken note of that. And he's coming back, not for somebody that's forsaken, but for somebody that is his delight. And that is the true church of Olathe. God's coming back for this church. God is wanting to visit this church. A glorious church. Not having spot. Not having wrinkle. A prepared church. He said, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride. I believe he's rejoicing today. She's getting ready. Look at her. Hey, Gabriel, look at her. Hey, Michael, have you seen her? Can you hear her praise today, heavenly host? You believe what you want to believe. Some people feel like that when the church begins to worship, we're joining in in the heavenly host. I believe he puts them on mute while his church is singing. I believe when the church is lifting their voice, he said, that's what I want to hear right now. And today, if he's up there rejoicing, I wonder what would happen if this church said, I think I'll join in with him today. I think I'll celebrate a little bit with him today. The bridegroom ain't going to have to rejoice alone today because it's going to be worth it all. It's going to be worth it all. If you don't have the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you can have it today. God wants to fill you with the Holy Ghost today. And I'm telling you, it's going to be worth it all. It's going to be worth anything you have to sacrifice on an altar today. Let's stand. Feel the Holy Ghost. I feel the Holy Ghost today. As the bridegroom rejoices. Can you, can you look into the heavens today and see that twinkle in the eyes of the Lord? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done, Olathe. Well done, truth church. I feel it. I feel it today. I feel the devil lying to somebody today. You, you know, and he knows every spot and he knows every wrinkle. But he said, I'm here rejoicing anyway. I'm celebrating that day when you're going to come up here. It's going to be worth it all. It's going to be worth it all. It's going to be worth it all some beautiful, happy day. Can you hear it, church? That wedding celebration getting ready. The angels preparing the wedding songs up there.
as they began to sing. I want you to come around the front today knowing the bridegroom is rejoicing today over you, over you, over you, over you. He's up there celebrating today over you and over you. Let's worship Him today. Let's magnify Him. I'm ready. 